Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Described by The Guardian as a landmark, no documentary has so powerfully connected the causes of Me Too and Black Lives Matter. On the Record presents the stories of Drew Dixon, Sherry Schur, and Salai Abrams as they grapple with their decision to become one of the first black women in the wake of Me Too to publicly accuse hip-hop mogul Russell Simmons of sexual assault. From filmmakers Kirby Dick and Amy Ziering, whose body of work has covered sexual assault in the military with the Invisible War, college campuses with the hunting ground, and now the music industry, for your consideration, On the Record is now streaming on HBO Max. From Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. I live by that Peter O'Toole quote, is great words make great actors. I mean, that is, that's it. Like, you couldn't have summed it up better. You know, it's very hard to make stuff work when you've got shitty dialogue to speak. And, you know, we've all been in that situation and it's not fun, you know. And then you get an opportunity like this where you, it's pure joy to say these words that Stanley's written. Jamie Dornan was drawn to star in the new Ireland-set romantic film, Wild Mountain Time, because of one specific reason, the words of writer-producer John Patrick Shanley. I'm Clayton Davis. On this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast, we talk to Jamie Dornan and Emily Blunt about Wild Mountain Time. The pair talk about working with Oscar-winning screenwriter Shanley, as well as their recent career choices, how they've been faring during the pandemic, and the state of diversity and inclusion in Hollywood. Later in the show, an exclusive first conversation with Tahar Rahim, the star of the upcoming real-life legal drama, The Mauritanian, about a man imprisoned by the U.S. without due process. But first, our awards roundtable looks at Warner Brothers' game-changing 2021 news, Emmy rule changes, and the Oscar documentary race. It's all on this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Variety Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Clayton Davis, Film Awards Editor here today with Janelle Riley. Oh, what? Uh-huh. I didn't think you were going to call on me first. Sorry. <laughs> I changed up the order. I want to keep you guys on your toes. Jazz Sanke. Hi. Michael Schneider. He's back. Hey, hey. Did Yay. you feel that? Back Did with a feel fancy that? new microphone. I know. I know. Hopefully this sounds good. and It's not going to sound distorted and they'll have to retape it. We'll see. Did you have to record, re-record something? Oh, I've had to do that every once in a oh, while, but that's, I, 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 I digress. Um, so, but, but did you feel, did you feel the motion? Did you feel the industry shuddering last week? What's going on? The world has changed. HBO Max wants to start its own earthquake. <laughs> yeah. 
And I think they, they succeeded, at least with film Twitter. Um, meanwhile, over uh, th- those of us over on TV Twitter are just kind of amused by the whole <laughs> hand ringing. Yeah, who put Michael like, Schneider in here? He's TV Twitter. <laughs> exactly. I've infiltrated <laughs> your ranks. But nonetheless, still a big deal. Uh, you know, still threatens to change the business as we know it, as everything else has during this pandemic and, and during this uh, streaming revolution. But uh, nonetheless, are you guys excited that you'll be able to see all these films next year on HBO Max? You're plopping down your 15 a month? Or do you do you think this really is the, the end of theatrical distribution as we know it? Uh, I, I've, I've won, I'm one that has not believed that uh, movie theaters are dying up until last week happened. Then I was like, it's, I don't think they're dying, but I was like, ooh, they got to a really bad car accident. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're in yeah. intensive care. Um, am, am I excited? Like, not, re- not really, because after spending nine months at home watching screeners and stuff at home, it has, I've, I've missed the movie theater. And while there's a lot of convenience to this, there is something to be said about watching things inside a theater without the distraction of your children or anyone else running around you at any given moment. And I think that part still remains intact. I think uh, Owen Gleiberman's uh, really well-written op-ed about like if this is really the end of cinema is, is very profound. I think everyone should give it a read because I don't, I don't think this is as pointing to the end of cinema as we think. Janelle? Well, I'm I'm curious if it's actually going to happen. That's sort of my um, philosophy on everything. I'm like, I won't believe it until it happens. And having seen today that Legendary Pictures is already sort of saying like, hey, wait, we didn't agree to this. This is, a, and they have at least two movies. They have the Kong versus Godzilla and Dune. Um, you know, I mean, I, I guess we'll see. I do believe Wonder Woman 84 will be out on Christmas on uh, HBO Max, and I'm really looking forward to it because, as we previously discussed, we're apparently the only people who haven't seen it. <laughs> or, or, oh, I saw not, it. It was, it, was, it was fantastic. You, they you showed it to you, TV you were, Twitter. Where, where were you? Yeah, yeah. It was great. <laughs> Mike has seen it. I have, not seen, I have not seen Wonder Woman 1984. That's okay. Give us just, a spoiler anyway. Just to clarify. Um, uh, she's, dead at the, she's really dead in the end. It's, it's all. Uh, she plays Pac Man, <laughs> Pac Man for two hours. Just she's just out there. Okay, play Pac Man for two hours. You're talking my language now. That's my. That's Wonder Woman three. I'm I'm doing a wait and see policy. I mean, we'll we'll see. I, I guess the idea is to get subscribers, but doesn't everybody already kind of have HBO or not? If you like, have HBO, then yeah. And then if you don't, then if you have a Roku, that's not really helping either because there's a Roku deal that's that's uh, kind of at the at the end of that and there's just like a lot of i'm surprised they called it for the entire year yeah I, if they did like first half i would have been like okay that's to get us through the pandemic but this you know by next december we could be all fine and well again well and and that was that was for the stock price that was for wall street that oh. was about let's let's do something that'll just juice up uh, the, the stock price that'll get investors excited Janelle, you're kind of right I mean who knows where we're gonna be next year at this time and and at that point you know the stock price will have already gone up they'll maybe say you know we're gonna pull a couple of movies back to just theaters this is short term this is you're right about HBO Max that was such a, a 
bungled launch. They're desperate. They they need people to a subscribe, but b realize if they subscribe to HBO that they do have HBO Max, which I think we've talked about on a previous podcast. A lot of people don't know about. So this was about just moving the needle, uh, a, a little desperation, and getting HBO Max on on the uh, basically out there for people to actually pay attention to. And to that degree, it worked. It did. We're paying attention. Yeah, Jazz, why don't you talk to us about your, por- your portfolio? How's your portfolio looking right now, you know, now that uh, everything's been announced? I'm making bank. I'm making bank with my HBO stock. But um, no, um, I I think, I I feel it was extreme. Like, really, you're going to put your whole slate and you're just going to cancel cinema for 2021? No. And I, I'm with you. I'm tired of watching screeners at home on my laptop or, like, airplane to the TV. I miss sitting in a movie theater for 90 minutes okay fine maybe two hours 20 minutes if your film goes long um or four hours if it's martin scorsese's latest (laughs) four hours yeah exactly and just having that whole viewing experience of laughing crying or just seeing other people's reactions if you're going for like a second screen like imagine seeing promising young woman in a movie theater or you know borat borat right so i don't think the movie the the movie going experience is dead i think that's just you know let's just see what happens roll out the vaccine people want to go back to the cinema i've spoken to so many people and they're just like i cannot wait and you know middle america's gonna be i mean they're already going to the cinema yeah they're already at the theaters true story (laughs) hey look it's really good popcorn you guys you can't fault anyone Speaking of... Wait, here comes a segue. I can tell. Go, Michael Schneider. Here we go. Speaking of film Twitter and TV Twitter and what sort of, uh, you know, been debated the past couple of days or weeks, Steve McQueen's anthology series, Small Axe for Amazon, and the debate over, is it film, is it television? Well, it's an anthology, so Amazon is entering it into the Emmy competition, into the TV competitions, which has, uh, you know, a lot lot of folks, especially on film Twitter, a little bit on edge. This is not TV, it's film, but nonetheless, that's where Amazon has placed it. Now, to put an interesting cog in the wheel, is that the right cog in the wheel? We'll go with it. Okay. The uh, Television Academy came out with new rules last week. One of the big rules was anthologies are no longer going to appear in the made-for-TV movie category. Instead, they're going to be placed with the other limited series. So if Amazon was planning on doing what Netflix did very successfully for years with Black Mirror episodes, which is pretend they're each individual films and enter them as TV movies and then collect those Emmys, they're not going to be able to do that with with the small axe films. That's now an anthology series. So one big sort of uh, change in, in uh, you know that that will have some real ramifications uh, come awards time next year on the TV side. Real quick, Mike, just for clarification, when they uh, do episode submissions, though, they'll be able to submit the individual film that they want if they get nominated. That they'll be able to get uh, voted on for. Is that the way it works? I think for limited series, not now. Uh, well, for limited series, it's the entire body. So it's, oh, so it's, you don't pick one episode or not? You no, it's thing. it's the entire thing. So that's where Black Mirror will be. You know, and and already, you know, the, the TV Academy was was a little fed up with those Black Mirror episodes landing TV movie Emmys. So they changed the rule. Remember, it had to be seventy five minutes to be considered a TV movie. So the the so but those seventy six minute. 
Black Mirror episodes were still eligible. So ultimately that that didn't work. So now this is the new plan. Now the, the limited series category is so jam-packed now because everything's now a limited series. That's going to make it tougher for these anthologies like Small Axe to uh, get attention. Yeah, and, and just say that TV movie already sucked as a category last year. So now it's going to be even worse probably next year. Yeah, they need good contenders, honestly. Like that, that they, they probably needed a good small axe film to, to enter in, in TV movies. So I don't know where that's going to go. Uh, other than I think a lot of these films that were originally considered Oscar bait, uh, I, I think some of these streamers are going to start really considering them as TV movies, much to their filmmaker chagrin. Well, people are very confused, and I count myself among them, with like, how come Amazon is counting Uncle Frank as a TV movie instead of, is it just that it doesn't get a theatrical release of any kind? Like, where, how, do you, how do you make that determination? Is Uncle Frank considered a TV movie? I've been told they're, yeah, pushing it for uh, Emmys, not Oscars. Well, it, it, it used to be if it originated from the film side, then it went down the film path. It was considered Oscar contender. You know, it was it was entered in the films. And if it came from the TV team, then it was on the Emmys path. I think that's going to start to change, though, because there is opportunity, like Clayton mentioned, in the TV movie uh, category. So if you have a film like Uncle Frank, where you know it's not really going to get into the Oscar consideration, but... Maybe it'll pick up some awards on the TV side, start to like stick it on on that path instead, and, and maybe there's opportunity for some awards. So they're thinking a lot more strategically. But like, we can also just say like the the split of these two categories is really stupid, considering that they're not split in the acting races; they're combined. There, best actor in a limited series or a TV movie that they'll compete against each other, but in the top category, it's not. You know, so like this, this, this is something that Emmy just needs to clean up kind of across the board. Yeah, well, there's there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of things that they need to clean up. But you know, TV movie and, and limited series actually had combined for a couple of years uh, when there were more TV movies and no miniseries. Like everyone got out of the miniseries business, and then suddenly American Horror Story brought back the idea of the limited series uh, sort of slash anthology. That was sort of a vague. Uh, middle ground and and suddenly everyone wanted to do limited series and now it's all limited series and no tv movies um maybe there still should be a lifetime christmas movie category oh my god there's enough movies for it (laughs) right i was gonna say we should blame ryan murphy then for bringing back american horror story (laughs) blame ryan murphy i I can't wait for letitia wright's uh, social media campaign oh yeah well, she she's off social media now. So who said that? <laughs> All I want to say is Small Axe is brilliant, and I can't believe people aren't talking about it more. Maybe they are over in a in a TV Twitter, uh, <laughs> Michael. <laughs> but it's it's some of the best filmmaking of the year. And Film Twitter's talking about it, but they're like really talking about like how you know I'm part of Critics Choice. We all got emails saying, "Do you want to consider it?" For your top 10 of the year, like any of the individual things like Mangrove, feel free to do so. And some people are totally going to. Yeah, I mean, Mangrove deserves to be in there. Absolutely. Oh, remember when everyone put like season three of of Twin Peaks on their best films of the year list? That oh, yeah, that's <laughs> oh the worst. No, that still pisses me off. <laughs> yeah, just small acts I can kind of get on board with, but right, this right. is like no. They are movies. Those are they individual are. movies. Yeah. So that 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 the, the line there is blurred. It's 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 not like Hugh Grant saying The Undoing is a seven hour movie. Just shoot me now. <laughs> oh. 
But yeah, Small Axe is so good. And Lover's Rock is a brilliant movie if you haven't. It's the second it's the second installment in the anthology and just beautiful. Janelle, you ready for another transition? Yes, please, go for it. Another clarification that the the uh, Television Academy has been big on is is the whole documentary situation. Because uh, as we know, for years, uh, people were double dipping. And they're still sort of trying to get away with double dipping. But the, the T- TV Academy, at least, has made it clear, if you have entered for the Oscars, you are not eligible for an Emmy. End of story. So it's, uh, we're, we're going to see. That's now. Yeah. Because OJ Made in America yeah. did both. Yeah, yeah. And didn't the 13th as well? As of, yeah, yeah. As of 2021 and, and Free Solo, uh, you know, a lot of. A lot of folks, and, and there was a lot of cases where when people didn't get the Oscar, hey, hello, Emmys. Uh, <laughs> hello, silver medal. <laughs> it was a weird loophole that uh, at least the TV Academy is trying to uh, close. Uh, the, the Motion Picture Academy really hasn't yet, so there have been a couple of folks who entered uh, Emmys last year who are now in, in the Oscar race this year. But uh, Clayton, let's talk about the, the documentary category. Let's talk about those docs, right? So uh, last year, I think we had a record 170 documentaries that were submitted for Oscar. And I think we're going to be on par to do exactly that again, if not more, uh, this year. So there's always like a field of contenders. And that's going to be a little difficult to narrow down until the bake-off. And then the bake-off, it gets down to 15 in the middle of February. And then we'll get down to the official five. Uh, and I don't think we have a clear front runner for we don't have a won't, won't you be my neighbor or an Apollo 11 uh, so far, uh, which I think is a good thing because I think that opens things up substantially uh, to what's going on. Uh, I feel like some of the more short things feel like totally under control from Neon, which tells is the pandemic movie by Alex Gibney, uh, Boy State from Apple TV Plus. Um, and Dick Johnson is dead uh, from Netflix. I think oh, thank you. I think those. I think the, I, I think those three feel like right now, today, on d- December seventh, uh, time of recording. They feel like the assured stuff. Uh, but then on top of that, time from Amazon. I think it's a it's a very big contender. John Lewis, Good Trouble. Uh, one of the two films from Don Porter. I love the way I see it more than John Lewis. I wish that felt more assured, but. We'll see what happens. Um, and then all in the fight for democracy, which people can't see. Jazz is wearing a shirt right now. <laughs> she's, not, she's not plugging it, though. Well, I have a Borat mug here. That should, if, if, we're, if we're pulling out all our swag. And a gratitude from Big Mouth. I am so glad you gave um, Dick Johnson as dead a shout out because that actually won the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards. And it is so well done it is just a be- a great story from Kristen Johnson and if you haven't seen it watch it it's on Netflix also two and a half stars walking through the door because it's like 90 minutes <laughs> <laughs> do do the stars go up as the running time goes down for you, yeah, How, how does this work? 90, 90, 95 minutes is usually the cut where I'm like you're getting two and a half stars I don't care <laughs> what, what, what you look like in the end like you're in a good spot no, I think that's my favorite documentary of the year. And I, I'm, you know, I, it's, it's funny because the documentary branch has a habit of taking whatever is the most 
perceivable front runner and saying, nope, not this year and not even putting it on the short list. There's been so many examples that happens year after year. So I'm almost like hesitant to talk it up too much. <laughs> I know. We're going to give him some ideas. <laughs> yeah. uh, also films in the running Crip Camp, a, Dis- a Disability Revolution, also on, on Netflix. Uh, Collective, uh, which is also the Roma- Romania submission for foreign language film, could go the way of Honeyland last year that was nominated in both doc and uh, foreign language. MLK FBI from IFC Films is very, very good. On the Record from HBO Max obviously is is very, very strong, which tells the story of uh, uh, three women coming forward about uh, mogul Russell Simmons. Uh, Kingdom of Silence from Showtime. Uh, I Am Greta has also been getting a lot of buzz. They did the festival circuit for a bit. Uh, We also got a bunch of stuff like The Dissident. Uh, the truffle hunters, which I got a truffle the other day, and it sm- smells. Oh, was it terrible. amazing? Like a truffle? Did you not- use it? Because uh, I, I have a friend who made several meals out of it, and he they was, gave a truffle yeah. slicer. So there was all these instructions on how to use it. It was very. Uh, it was. It was. It was. It was a little uh, overwhelming. Oh, but but did you eat it? You're dodging the question. Well, I, I have I have t- I have tenants that live upstairs uh, from me, so they used it, and then I ate some of whatever it is they made. They made some like truffle fries. So you and stuff. gave it away. They made truffle fries. I wasn't gonna make truffle fries. Like I barely make cereal in my house. That wasn't gonna happen <laughs> for me. But uh, but they made it, and it was, and it was great. I had truffle fries. Uh, also, uh, Belly of the Beast, which has a Mary J. Blige song uh, in, in, in the running. Athlete A from Netflix. Uh, are we still doing the Billie Eilish documentary? Does anyone know that? Are we getting the Billie Eilish theme song from the James Bond movie? The, is the Grammy-nominated <laughs> Billie Eilish? That's all the Billie we're Song getting. from uh, No Time to Die. And uh, also stuff I'm hearing a lot of good things about. Um, I haven't seen it yet. The, the Human Factor from Sony Pictures Classics. Uh, it's supposed to be very, very good. Uh, also, I haven't seen The Social Dilemma yet, and I haven't seen Disclosure, and I heard both of those are very, very good. The Social Dilemma is really good. Um, I, I've sworn that I would delete Facebook. I still haven't done it, um, but that's a really good doc. I do love Mr. Soul um, by Melissa Haslip, and that's been getting a lot of love. Um, that's worth checking out. Also, like, the um, the fight which came out very, that came out very early this year. Is that, I think that's produced by Another Kerry Magnolia Washington. film. Yep. Very good. Yeah. And A Secret Love. I, that was one of the, the screenings, one of the last screenings I went to. Um, it's a really beautiful story about a lesbian couple who, it's kind, it's kind of um, like a league of their own. Um, and they were baseball players. It's, yeah. If you want to cry, that's. Gina Davis in it. She is not in it. I'm sorry. But that's another Netflix one, but yeah. You know? Oh, I just want to say my favorite documentary of the year next to Dick Johnson is Dead was The Speed Cubers on Netflix. Oh, my God. It was a short, like, 40 minutes. Is that that eligible? I couldn't figure out that's what I want to know. I want to know, is that eligible? Is my octopus teacher eligible? (sighs) Speed Cubers is amazing. Speed Cubers would be in the short category, I would think, but I, I don't see why it wouldn't be eligible. Mike, find that out. It's probably Emmys. <laughs> 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 Emmys takes everything. Too. Emmys takes everything. Uh, actually, I have to mention one more thing. Naturno, which is the Italian submission, and got submitted instead of The Life Ahead with Sophia Loren. So they submitted a documentary instead of Sophia Loren's movie. So that's wow. interesting. Yeah. 
I have a question. So you know how we're talking about documentaries that are eligible for Oscar, they, they're not going to be eligible for Emmys. What about the original song? Because, you know, I think I wrote a piece about how, like, if a song doesn't win it at the Oscars, then it's like, hey, we're going to try the Emmys down the road. Like, is that going to extend out to there? Do we know? Um, That's a good question. It, it seems unlikely. Like, it, it, like, if a film's not eligible, it's not eligible anywhere. So I, I would assume so. But uh Tricky, like these, these, uh, you know, these, these awards uh, consultants, they, they, they know how to play the game. I have a really important question. Um, where will the Lifetime Kentucky Fried Chicken movie <laughs> fall in terms of Emmy's Oscars <laughs> recipe for seduction? Oh my God. I have never, I don't think I've smiled that much. This, this is Sharknado part two for me. This is like the Sharknado of this time. Everyone needs to get ready to see Mario Lopez. Colonel Sanders. Yeah, you know, I, I do. I wonder if like that that would be uh, eligible for a short. I mean, it's a paid advertisement, so I'm not sure. But <laughs> <laughs> it's eligible for Clio. Exactly. Maybe this could be the future of of commercials. That that's how Netflix and streamers are eventually going to get into the commercial game, right? They're going to start doing those kind of content plays. So just you watch. Um, but hey, we're all talking about KFC today, so. It worked. I'll forgive. I'll forgive God for all of 2020 if He makes this like <laughs> just the greatest. Well, you reality. may now question your choices, but <laughs> now you've only now? the man yeah. who refers to you as the master of the universe. You're only starting to now question Ooh. your choices. Well, on that note, speaking of Clayton, he has a lovely conversation with Jamie Dornan and, and Emily Blunt. So why don't we, uh, without further ado, get to that right now? So. Until next week, when maybe KFC will have another 15-minute special with another Saved by the Bell star. Also, after Jamie Dornan and Emily Blunt is our first exclusive interview with Tahar Rahim from the Mauritanian. Nice. Clayton, Jazz, Janelle, always a pleasure. You as well. Welcome back. Thank you. Welcome back. Until next week. Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Clayton Davis. Wild Mountain Time tells the story of Anthony and Rosemary, two star-crossed lovers in Ireland who get caught up in their family's land dispute. Emily Blunt and Jamie Dornan play the lead characters, while veteran Oscar-winning actor Christopher Walken and John Hamm also populate the cast. Anthony! Are you all right? I'm fine. What are you doing out there? Fishing. That was fishing? Yeah. Without a rod? Who were you talking to? I wasn't talking. Left to be talking, then swatting, then you jumped in. I did not. It's a Kelly's to jump in. I'm a Riley. You're a Riley. What are you doing down by the river? What I've been doing after this one. Oh, you're not still from the night before. I am. Well, God in heaven, you look the worst for it. Well, thanks much. You don't look perfect yourself. The Bleecker Street release is based on a play that director John Patrick Shanley wrote about his own Irish family. When Jamie Dornan and Emily Blunt discuss their experience working under the direction of Shanley, they admit both being bewildered and how absolutely bonkers their two characters are. But they also reserve the highest of praise for the Oscar-winning screenwriter of Moonstruck. Dornan calls Shanley a genius, while Blunt lauds the freedom that Shanley gives his actors to play with his words. I recently spoke with Dornan and Blunt about Wild Mountain Time, but we began by jokingly discussing how the two stars put up with each other. 
Emily, I feel so bad for you. You've been hanging out with Jamie Dornan like all day. Is that what, what's going to oh, happen? I mean, it's, it's thank God it's only a couple of hours so far. But um, no, I yeah, I know it's a it is a tough gig. It's a very tough gig. Mm. And Jamie Dornan, you've been hanging out with Emily Blunt uh, all this time, and you found out what perfection is. That's so crazy to learn it this this late in life. That's, That's so sweet. Yeah, she, yeah. Is that what she told you? Yeah. Well, so let me confess something. I I'm, I'm, unprompted and unpaid compliments. All right, be all right with it, Dornan. So I met Emily Blunt seven years ago during uh, Into the Woods. Emily, we met in uh, in New York. And you were just the sweetest, nicest person I ever met. Uh, and I was just like kind of getting, that was like my, one of my first big interviews. And you made it very nice. It was you and James Corden that same day. Oh, that's good. And then you met Jamie Dornan shortly after that. And you thought, oh, that's what most of Hollywood's like. Go. <laughs> no. ja- Jamie's very Hollywood, I like to say. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> you know who's um, amazing in that, in, that movie, in that movie? It's Chris Pine. He's so oh. funny in that movie. He's so good in that movie. He could sing like an angel. No one knew. He's like an angel. He's so funny. He's That's so my favorite good. thing he's ever done. Like he was just so good. He's so uh, good in it. I know. Wait, I have to start with this question then. Jamie Dornan, can you sing like an angel? Um, yes. <laughs> one of those angels that's sort of been cast aside, who's not really... <laughs> Too good for hell, but they're not quite letting him into heaven. You know, just kind of like he's just in purgatory. <laughs> they let you hang outside the gates and just lean on the on the pillar there. Yeah, but I can sing. You know, I, I said this. Emily heard me say this the other day. But I can I can sing as well as sort of most like actors can sing. You know, um, which is like well, you know, most actors can sing a bit. It sort of comes with the territory a wee bit. You know, like most actors like can sing and ride horses, you know, so it's like, <laughs> I can, <laughs> I can do both a little bit. <laughs> Let, let's, let's talk about the difficulty in this role, uh, Wild Mountain Time. I mean, let's talk about, uh, just chemistry first between you two, uh, just being, you know, these two repulsive human beings, right. They have to like be attracted to each other in some way. How did, you know, you find those characters early on in the script, you know, <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, the, 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 it's chemistry is like such a weird thing, you know, because you're so fortunate when you have it with someone, because then you can really the space between you can you can create something really fun and bubbly and, and magical and and unexpected. And so I knew when I met Jamie that I was going to have a laugh and that I was going to love doing these scenes with him and that we would approach it similarly and. And we were both kind of bewitched and in love with these mad, lonely farmers that we were playing, that it was a very easy embodiment to become these people and do the scenes with each other. And yeah, we were both completely bewitched by the script and by how unique it was and how bonkers these characters were, you know? Yeah, I mean, I feel exactly the same, you know, it's, um, they are, they're they're complicated, um, they're complicated uh, human beings, these two, and uh, they, a lot of, you know, a lot of their relationship is built around how the chemistry doesn't work between them in, in reality and because of, uh, mostly because of Anthony's inability to let himself go and to accept the sort of attraction and the, the lustful need from Rosemary that he just... <laughs> 
<laughs> that he just can't let in. Um, so uh, it, it was great then just have this total ease with with Emily and when I first met Emily and, and just being around her knowing that like it's going to be like a, a sort of easy journey to go on you know because we both had this understanding of these people and and probably both were accepting that um you know that they were probably closer to our own selves than we really wanted to admit <laughs> these weirdos um were probably closer to ourselves than, than, than we thought they were um and then to have that chemistry with someone that to know that you're you're able to embody them without having to think about anything else because it doesn't always happen that way you know um and so much of of this movie hinges on believing what's going on between these two you know um, I just want to say, Jamie, I hate that you got the COVID beard going, but you're still like just as perfect and chiseled and everything. Total opposite of what happened during this time. I just want to point that out. It's really hurting oh. my feelings. Okay. You're looking pretty great. You know, I, I, yeah, I, I, had, know. I had to put on a hat just so I can like try to level up with you in some way. Um, you know, yeah, you know, I'm one of those people like, I, at the very start of COVID, I sort of said to my wife, I'm like, God, people, this is going to like, for you know, so many ramifications of what's happening in a pandemic. But I'm like, people are either going to come out at the end of it like, in the best shape of their lives or the worst shape of their lives. <laughs> because it's like, you know, it depends on what way you choose to go. And because it ended up, it's gone on for so long. Um, I've peaked and troughed through it. You know, at the beginning, I was like really regimented about, I'm going to stay in shape. I'm going to be really good. And then went through a period. Actually, I got the film. I filmed something during it. And I had seven weeks where I just did nothing. I did absolutely nothing. And I just ate what I want, drank what I want, didn't do any exercise. And now I am in a good place again. So you're seeing me in a good... You could have seen uh, me on okay. a low, uh, I, I missed that seven-week period, though. That would have been the connection period for us. Yeah. Well, I, in that, that seven-week period, I've shot a movie. So I obviously look dreadful in this movie. So, you know. Uh, well, let me start. Um, I have to... I'm sorry I didn't start there. How are you guys during... with? COVID and everything, everyone okay, safe? You, how, how did you spend your quarantine? I mean, I made a lot of banana bread, I feel. You know, I feel like <laughs> banana bread became like the the lifeline for COVID for me for some reason. I, 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 I really enjoyed so much about getting to just be home and be together. And I think the air of uncertainty that everyone felt and the fear that we all felt back in March and April, I think then turned into a bit of a surrender of what we were in. And so, yeah, I don't know what to say other than we had to just keep adopting the surrender term to what was really going on. But yeah. um, I, I think I'm a very bad teacher. I don't know if I want to homeschool my kids ever again, but um, yeah. I agree. With, well, I'm a bad teacher too. You're a bad teacher. <laughs> I am. Uh, both, I mean, both our kids are, are home. My wife's the teacher and they're all at three different schools around three different wow. it's, it's awful. Oh. In it, you in it. Yeah, uh, John Patrick Shanley, that man, just like words and direction, and just doing his doing his thing. How do, how was it like working with him? Oh, he's so magical. I mean, he his his scripts always are so unique and so layered, and the dynamics of them are so odd in some ways, and so left of center, so completely singular to him. And he writes. I think the characters almost speak in verse. They're very poetic. They're very lyrical in how they communicate with each other. So 
when you read it, it's really bewitching. It's really holds you in its spell. It's, it's very unique. And then to do it on set, the beauty of John Patrick Shanley is that he doesn't straightjacket you. He just sort of is interested by what you're going to bring. He's not precious about his own words. And so there's a freedom, there's a kind of free spirited nature to him on set. And we also didn't have time because we shot this in like four or five weeks. So we, we had no time to think about anything or second guess yourself or your first instinct. Like there was just no time for any of it. So whether it was pouring with rain or we'd lost the light or we didn't really get me or Jamie in the shot. It didn't really matter. We just, if he felt like the energy was good, like do you remember that one day, Jamie, where the camera guy was like, no, John, I literally cut off Jamie's head. And he goes, it's fine. The energy was great. And Jamie was like, what the fuck? Half my face and the it's it's so funny. It was just I can't, wait, I can't wait for the director's cut. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, he's he, he, you know he's he's a genius, John. You know, and he 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 thinks like nobody else I've ever met. And you know, even the first time we had dinner, Emily, when you arrived that that the night before we started shooting, you know, like he just comes out with stuff that you almost just want to have like a notepad with you at all times when you're around him because of the way he talks, you know, and the way he um, the way he sort of um, um, dissects elements of life you know um there's poltergeist in your house but I, I, I suddenly that was something weird i saw a shadow literally I saw a shadow. <laughs> um, but he has just this great capacity to to with his use of words and, and how to um get more out of them than, than most people do you know um but without it feeling like you're overburdened with words or too many words or you know that you're using big words it's just a be- he's got a poetic beauty to the way he writes, you know, and it's such a treat as an actor to play with those words, you know, essentially what we're, all we're doing is playing and we're given these tools to go and play with and our tools of this, you know, script and and it's so much easier to do your job and so much more fun to do your job when you've got words like that. You know, I I, I live by that Peter O'Toole quote, is great words make great actors. I mean, that is, that's it. Like you couldn't have summed it up better, you know, it's, very hard to make stuff work when you've got shitty dialogue to speak and you know we've all been in that situation and it's not fun you know and um and then you get an opportunity like this where you it's so pure joy to say these words that that shanley's that shanley's written it's amazing i love the love the jamie dornan shade i like it a lot just like shitty words are great to speak about uh, so I have, a, I have a few questions here. These are fun now. I like fun questions because I want to hang out with you two because you're the best. <laughs> uh, Jamie Dornan, I interviewed Emily Blunt seven years ago and I asked her at that interview. I don't know if the answer is the same, so we'll see if it is. I'm going to ask you what you think she said. I asked her in that interview, what is the one role she wants to play in life? What role did she tell me? Batman. I'm imagining the Emily Blunt Batman right now. It's, it's really coming together in my head really fast. I say it's actually really coming together in my head as well. Yeah. It could be absolutely huge, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's still filming right now. I mean, we could just remove it. Yeah. Just go and sort of kidnap Robert Pattinson. Yeah, like, there's yeah. a new Batman in town. Emily, do you know? Do you do you know? Is the role the same? Do you think you remember what? No, you- I don't even know what I said. What did I say? You told me Sally Bowles in Cabaret. 
I didn't say that, did I? I swear you did. <laughs> <laughs> because it comes up a lot. I literally asked Chris Miliati the same question recently, and she said she wanted to play that. I was like, oh, Emily Blunt told me that too. It's come up like two or three times. Like, it's like the role that people well, speak. Well, now to. Batman's gone straight to the top of the list. I'm afraid Sally <laughs> Bolton has been put on the back burner. <laughs> Batman all the way. <laughs> Emily, do you know what Jamie Dornan's favorite movie is from when he was a child? I don't know this answer either. I'm just want to, I'm gonna I'm gonna let Jimmy answer in a minute. Okay. From when I was a child. Yeah. Okay. Can you give me a clue, Jamie? Would it have been animated or not animated? Not animated, and weirdly, my kids we introduced it to um, to Dulcie to our, our eldest uh, on her birthday last week, on her seventh birthday. We thought it was time for her to see it. Chitty chitty bang bang. No, she's seen that. Um, Sound music. No, since has she seen that? No. Um, splurge guns. Oh come on! What? A lot of kids do the do a, do a performance of it at school. Oh, come on, splurge guns. That isn't enough. Splurge gun is. What's a splurge gun? Judy Foster was in it when she's like thirteen. Oh, oh. Uh, Bugsy Malone. Yeah. Really? For a minute, when you said Jodie Foster, 13 years old, I immediately went to Taxi Driver, and I was like, oh. Dude, like, that is messed up, dude. <laughs> I was like, what seven-year-old birthday party did you throw? <laughs> you imagine? You're ready. Daddy, Daddy, I'm not, I don't like it. I don't want to watch it. You're watching it. Just watch it. <laughs> yeah. And then you're, like, miming all the words. You're like, I can imagine the whole thing. <laughs> uh, what, what was the funniest moment you guys had on set together? Um, with each other, but just in general, that you'll think back and laugh forever. I don't know what was it. Probably, I mean, the head cut off is pretty good, though. The the probably the you know the car the car <laughs> scene before we we you know Emily crashes us into the the tree. It was just so frantic and mad, and we literally were literally hurtling along some like. <laughs> so that was what was funny was that. Because we didn't have a very big budget, they couldn't rig the cameras very securely. So we were literally plodding along at like a glacial pace, having to fake that we were driving really fast. <laughs> we were supposed, the whole scene was supposed to have this urgency and I was going at like 19 miles per hour. I was like, this is so lame. I was like, Shelley, we have to drive quick. This is so embarrassing. It was getting ready for the Fast and Furious movie you'll be a part oh. of. Oh, it was the bumpiest road in the world, though. It was like potholes. Every it was just a very Irish road, you know. How, how like, much did it rain? Like the like rain was like ungodly there, right? Like it just it was constant, constant. But actually, it sort of worked in every scene. And because we didn't have time to wait for better weather, we just shot no matter what the rain, no matter what was happening, because that's what I guess you do when you're when you live on a farm, life goes on and it doesn't matter where the scene or how it took place. We just were shooting it. So it, it was a bit like we had to throw caution to the wind every day with how you had imagined or foreseen the scene going was never how it ended up going. And there was a beauty in that, really. I mean, the rain machine scene, the, you know, the big sort of climactic scene in the rain. Was a, I've ever been in my life. That's what it was called. And also... Emily got the really shitty end of the stick there because whatever happened with the wind or the way it was set up, it was just like lashing into her face. And and we were like sort of obviously in profile. So like she was getting it here and I was just getting it sort of in the back of my head. And, like, 
the old bit went into my eye. I was like, that's a bit stingy. And she was spitting out like water from her. I'm actually relieved that they didn't use too many close-ups because I literally would have been like that, like in the close-up. I just looked insane in the scene. So thank God they stay quite wide. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't even see you. It was was mad. What is your favorite Christopher Walken movie before this? Mm -hmm. Mm. I love him in Deer Hunter. Yeah, Deer Hunter. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I had True Romance as well. He's so good in that, in that scene. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's unbelievable in. He's just yeah. amazing in that monologue he has. Batman Returns. Mm-hmm. Coming in, we're coming back to Batman now. <laughs> like, well, listen, yeah. even though we went very slow in the car, I think when I play Batman and I get in that Batmobile, I'm going to show everyone what driving fast is. <laughs> I'm going to get my moment, I think. I love, by the way, that this is going to, if, if this happens, I want everyone to remember that this was where it was born, right here. <laughs> yeah. Jamie, you gave me this acting opportunity. Yeah. yeah. And when you win your Oscar, Emily, then you have to thank me as well. Like when for, I win my Oscar for Batman. For Batman, yes. Yes, for Batman. Listen, watch this space, all right? <laughs> yep. My last fun question for you guys. Uh, if we were to do a celebrity wife swap or spouse swap, <laughs> right? <laughs> if we were to, if we were to do that, right? We already know we already got a glimpse of what your lives could look like in the movie. What would Amelia and John Krasinski talk about when it came to you two about your bad habits and mm. fun little stories? Well, uh, what would they talk about? I, John says that you know, actually, Jamie and I both are really annoying when it comes to being on time. We are very anal timekeepers, aren't we, Jamie? Yep. Like if Jamie says to me, "I will call you at three p.m." the moment it turns to three p.m., that phone will ring. <laughs> it's like on it. So maybe they'd have a moan about that because John calls me time mode sometimes when I'm being a bit like, "Come on, we've got to get out the door and get the kids to school." Time mode is my nickname. I love the John Grzynski voice, by the way. Yeah, I know. Nagging yeah. husband, I liked it. It was good. Yeah, but I, uh, so I think that might be a bit annoying, but I'm, I mean, Jamie has far more annoying habits than me, right? <laughs> That's true, I do. Um, and uh, Millie knows all about them. Um, they usually are noise, you know, I think I'm noisier than she wants me to be. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not... And, you know, yeah, that's the thing. I think, you know, especially with, with three young kids and sometimes uh instead of me being the sort of level-headed one who calms the situation down i'm sort of adding to the sort of hysteria in the in the house and the excitement and the noise and i could probably do my wife a favor and, and uh shut up a bit <laughs> i can't imagine you very loud I, I feel like you're just very kind of mellow and chill yeah listen Clayton, i have we all have our moments don't we, we all get excited you know, um, and particularly when the driver comes on TV and you're going to show your seven-year-old the movie. Exactly. But you know, it's like, you know, you've got kids. Emily has two kids who are exactly the same age as two of our kids. And it can get insane at home, you know, and sometimes you allow yourself to get wrapped up in that and just add to it because they're having so much fun and actually should be going, actually guys, calm down. It's five minutes bedtime and we need to like chill out instead of me just adding fuel to the fire often. Wild Mountain Time hits theaters and will be available on demand starting December 11th. After the break, the Mauritanian star Tahar Rahim on his new role in Kevin McDonald's The Mauritanian. From Variety, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. 
described by The Guardian as a landmark, no documentary has so powerfully connected the causes of Me Too and Black Lives Matter. On the Record presents the stories of Drew Dixon, Sherry Schur, and Salai Abrams as they grapple with their decision to become one of the first black women in the wake of Me Too to publicly accuse hip-hop mogul Russell Simmons of sexual assault. From filmmakers Kirby Dick and Amy Ziering, whose body of work has covered sexual assault in the military with the Invisible War, college campuses with the hunting ground, and now the music industry, for your consideration, On the Record is now streaming on HBO Max. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast, and I'm Clayton Davis. Tahar Rahim co-stars with Jodie Foster, Benedict Cumberbatch, and Shailene Woodley in the new film, The Mauritanian, which is based on the harrowing true story of Mohamedou Salahi, who was captured by the United States and held captive in a Guantanamo Bay detention camp without any charges or trial. In an exclusive conversation, Rahim discusses getting his start in the industry with films like A Prophet and The Past and getting the opportunity to tell Salahi's story. We began by discussing the film's ever-timely subject, and Rahim shared what brought him to the project. Kevin, first of all, because I worked with him in a movie, and I think it was 10 years ago, uh, The Eagle of the Ninth, and uh, I really like his work. But I remember that summer I was on holiday and I had a text from him saying, uh, hey, I might have a good part for you. So I'm like very excited and, and I, send me the script. So when I read the title, which was uh, Guantanamo Diary, I got a little disappointed at first because I thought it was this endless story of uh, those stereotypical characters. But when I started to read, I didn't know anything about Mo, about Mohamedou Slahi, whatever, nothing about that. And uh, when I read the script, I cried twice. So I was really moved by the story. And then when I started to dig in, I, I finally realized that this guy was uh, innocent and uh, no charge against him, nothing. I mean, how could that be possible nowadays in our countries? And uh, I, I thought that it was a beautiful part as an actor. And plus uh, that it's a useful movie that we need to tell those stories nowadays because it's, it's all about protecting the rule of law. And that's the reason why we live in, in democracies. How is that possible that the story happened when you think about it? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I, I appreciate you being very honest right from the jump, because I always, you always see these stories about when people get the roles. Like, oh, they sent me a script. I was like, yeah, I'm in. And you start <laughs> and you're like, no, like, what is this? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I want Guantanamo Diaries. Can I just say the inception, the, the title changes of the movie have always like, it's increasingly gotten better. I know Guantanamo Diary, then it got to 760. <laughs> like, all right, that's all right. And then it's entertaining. I was like, all right, we're in a good spot. Like, that's we're, perfect. We're, yeah. right we're stuck um, here. <laughs> I appreciate that. So thank you for that, for that, for that part. Um, so, I mean, you, 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 you sign on and I mean, you're a talent of, of, of your own, but then you're also on with Jodie Foster, Benedict Cumberbatch and Shailene, and Shailene Woodley. Um, I mean, the cast is pretty, it's dynamic. You guys are all from different, uh, kind of acting schools of thought. How did you guys, uh, come together in, in the project? When I was involved in the movie, Jody was not yet. 
So when I heard her name, I was like, oh, man. Uh, and I was like, of course, I, I, I was dreaming that she would accept the part. And she did. So it was a great day for me and, and a very good news because she is a legend. I mean, I grew up with her. I've seen such, so many movies and uh, she's made a lot of classicals as well, classic movies. So I was excited. And Shailene, I, I, I just had finished uh, that beautiful show on HBO. Um, what was the name? Um, <laughs> Pretty Little Lies. Big Little Lies. Yeah. And I was like, wow. But I, I have seen her before uh, in other movies and, and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as well. So I was very excited and, and a bit intimidated as well. So I'm like, okay, am I going to be able to do it, to exist in the middle of those actors? I didn't know. So uh, it's a very vivid memory in my mind when uh, Kevin wanted us to read uh, some parts of the script in South Africa. Me and Jody and Shailene. And I remember that day, I didn't know if the chemistry would work. And this is exactly the point of a reading. And when that happened, I felt I forgot about the stress I had or uh, the impression I get from those great actors. And, and suddenly with Jody and, and Shailene, it started to, to exist, to come to life. And then I got reassured, but it was before the shooting. And the shooting itself is another story. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was saying, <laughs> how, how long was the shoot? I guess that might have been a couple of, yeah, nine weeks or something. But for me, it was less. Because you see, I didn't, I didn't have the chance to work to, um, yeah, to work and meet with uh, Benedict, for example, because we don't, you know, we don't share any scenes in the movie. You see, <laughs> well, it wants to be with Benedict Cumberbatch anyway. I mean, like you know, just let him do his thing over there. You could stay <laughs> on your side; it's fine. <laughs> I mean, you know, I wanted to meet him. Yeah. What maybe it on the red carpet? You know, maybe maybe at Oscars or something. Who knows? <laughs> Let's hope so. So the, you guys filmed for eight weeks. How long did you shoot personally? I think it was some like twenty six days, and it was a very hard shooting because I had to I had to put myself in a very drastic diet. I needed to lose around ten to twelve kilos, which was very hard, and in a short time because I was shooting a TV show. When I'm very in a good shape, like uh, muscles and, you know, things. And within two weeks, I had to lose 12 kilos. Something like that. 19 days. I was tough. And then we shot, we shot, I don't know, three, four weeks. And every Saturday, I mean, from Monday to Saturday, I only one day off from, you know, 12 hours a day. It was very, uh, very tough. But I liked it because it puts you in, in 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 a specific emotional place that that leads you to something that you might haven't been able to reach if you're not in those conditions. And also preparing for for the role, uh, meeting with uh, Muhammadu. Did you were you ever able to do that? Did you speak to him? And I did. Ah, uh, so. Talk to me about it. How, how, did, how did that conversation go? Uh, it was such a beautiful moment. But the first time I met him was uh, virtually. We, I was in Thailand. He was uh, in Mauritania. And we started to Skype and talk a little. And I wanted to meet the guy first. You know, So we talked. And he's such a bright man and nice and clever and with a big sense of humor. 
which is very surprising when you yeah. know uh, when you know the story and what he's been through. So yeah, we talked about it, and and um, he was very happy to meet me as well. So uh, because you know it's uh, it, you got a big responsibility when you you carry those real characters, especially him. The, I didn't want to disappoint him, you know, nor his story. So uh, we talked about it, but he would each time we would talk about the tough tough things. I mean, it would go away a little bit because I think that those memories are so hard for him. But when you meet the guy, he's got a smile from here to here. You couldn't believe that he's been through hell like that. You couldn't believe it. If it, if it wasn't a true story, I would go like, okay, sure. But yeah, because this man, you know, he turned into uh, uh, such a, I think from the day one has been there. And when he came out, he became such a wise and, and very, yeah, very wise man. He doesn't hold a grudge against anybody. And when he first got to Guantanamo, he believed in the rule of law. He felt like, oh, finally, I'm going to the right place. I'm going to be treated as a human being. And after all of it, he still believes in the rule of law, which is incredible. Your evolution uh, through through the film, you know, from the moment you're, you're arrested, then you get to Guantanamo and you can kind of see the, the loss of hope during that time. Um, when you were speaking with Mohamedou, did he really get you in the right mindset of where his mind was? Because he's, he's in a place now where you don't like, I agree with you. I've seen some interviews with him and I've, I've seen some stuff like it, it's, it's like nothing ever happened to, to the man before, which is, which, which I just hope I can not carry. I carry grudges to like the stupidest thing when someone stole my French fry when I was like a kid. So <laughs> I can't imagine what that would be now. Um, but you seem to get into a pretty, uh, I won't say a dark place, but you 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 convey a, a sense of hopelessness in the film. Did how did you get there? Did, is that something that Muhammadu really put you uh, in that spot? Did you know where he was at certain parts in that? In that there's a 13 year period, right, or a 10 year that he was held captive. Uh you know, more more than that. Uh, uh 14 years. 14 years. But the worst part were uh, you know. Was it the beginning? And then when he won his uh, trial, you know, it was a bit better for him. But what I mean, yeah, it's it's no it's not good at all. But uh, yeah, now I've been talking to him. But each time I would talk about the tough things, about what he's been through, he wouldn't really answer it like properly in detail. So I felt like I, I didn't want to bother him. I didn't want to disrespect him, you know, so I had the book. I had his uh, interviews and what Kevin uh, brought me, uh, a lot of um, recordings from him. And uh, I was like, how can I reach that point of truth? How is that possible? It's always the same question when you're act, when you have uh, like deep parts like this. How can you reach it? Because obviously I haven't been through this. Uh, thank God. Uh, but, you know, how can you know what's truth? And the the way I managed it is I, uh, this, this diet helped me a lot. And I remember the first days I wanted to feel what it was to be in the real conditions. So I got shackled and they had like fake shackles, you know, and I said, bring the right, the real ones. I want to feel what they felt. 
So uh, I put them on and I did that for, listen, man, it was only six hours. And I, and I kept the bruises for the whole shooting. And they, they would, they would were those every day, every time. So I'm like, okay, I got a sense of that. And my job is to make it bigger inside of me. And plus, you know, when you don't eat anything, you don't drink. I needed to, 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 this to be real for me. Otherwise it's impossible. Uh, at some point, I don't know, you lose something. You're not even in, in, the, in, in reality, in the same dimension than others at some point. And this was for uh, the last week, the torturing scenes and all of it. And then you just surrender to your feelings and uh, listen to your guts and ask them to lead you, you to some places that, that feel like truth. That's Tahar Rahim, who stars in The Mauritanian, which will be released in the United States on February 19th by STX Films. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode, and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, Head to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Janelle Riley, Jazz Tanke, and Michael Schneider, I'm Clayton Davis. We'll see you on the circuit. Described by The Guardian as a landmark, no documentary has so powerfully connected the causes of Me Too and Black Lives Matter. On the Record presents the stories of Drew Dixon, Sherry Schur, and Salai Abrams as they grapple with their decision to become one of the first black women in the wake of Me Too to publicly accuse hip-hop mogul Russell Simmons of sexual assault. From filmmakers Kirby Dick and Amy Ziering whose body of work has covered sexual assault in the military with the Invisible War, college campuses with the hunting ground, and now the music industry. For your consideration, On the Record is now streaming on HBO Max. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.